The world has gone insane. Cosplayers rule the conventions. Gamers dominate the tabletop and the internet. Sci-fi subjugates the movies and fantasy rules the bookstore with an iron fist. Only one group can bring order to this unruly mob. A team of uber geeks, masters of the nerdly arts, trained for decades in the hobby shops and basements of the nation. Mobilized by the secret masters, they are the Department of Nerdly Affairs. Hello, operatives, and welcome to the Department of Nerdly Affairs. I'm your host, Rob Patterson, here with my co-host, Don Chisholm. How are you doing tonight, Don? Woo! I'm here. Okay. Having the fun. All right. All right, the fun is about to start. However, tonight, you are the one bringing the fun. I am? Yes, you are, sir. Because rumor has it that you have a rather unusual hobby. And I'm not talking about the one that involves the bodies in the basement. Oh, good. <laughs> we promised we wouldn't say anything about that. Well, actually, wait a sec. No, I guess I really am talking about the bodies in the basement. I mean, do you keep them in plastic bags? Sometimes. Sometimes I just keep pieces in a coffee maker. Well, there we go. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think we've covered it pretty nicely. And I'm sure our audience is probably starting to think, what the hell? Um, we're or actually not. talking about Don's action figure collection. In fact, Don doesn't just make action figures, he builds action figures, like custom ones. And I thought we'd talk about that this evening. Although, actually, I guess I should clarify the terminology first. So, Don, do you call them action figures? Or what yes. do you call them? Okay. No, they're action figures. They're action figures. So they're not like dolls or anything, right? No. Okay, just making sure. <laughs> and there is a difference. Okay, what's the difference? Well, the biggest difference, uh, as far as most people are concerned who, who keep track of this sort of thing, is dolls are typically clothes horses with, with limbs. That they're not very articulated, uh, they're not designed to hold, like say, handheld accessories and such. They're mostly designed as a way to, to show off an outfit, whereas action figures are designed usually for playability. Okay, so would that mean all those, like, 90s and uh, 2000s um, Spawn action figures and the other, like, McFarlane quote-unquote action figures that they put out are really dolls because they really just stand there, those in-action figure things? Technically, no, because, again, dolls are usually designed specifically for the outfits and such. Okay, that's true. Okay. Yeah, those were collectibles. Oh, okay, those are collectibles. <laughs> got it, got it. Okay, so I think we should probably do a little rewind here. So is there a particular type of action figure you actually uh, collect, or a particular line, I guess you could say? Uh, the uh, sad fact is, no, I do a bunch. Okay. But the uh, the bestest ones for customizing are the old Mego figures. I see. Well, okay, so why don't you tell us a little bit about Mego? Like, where does the name Mego come from? When I think of Mego, I think of the group that did that disco cover of the original Star Wars theme. That's Mecco. Oh, that's Mecco. I thought it was like Miko or something. Okay. Oh, no. There's uh, Migo. There is a techni techno band called Migo. Oh, okay. Even better. Yeah. Okay. So, well, I guess there's no link between Star Wars and Migo then, is there? Well, there is kind of, it's a oh. broken link, but. Okay. Well, why don't you tell us the story? <laughs> well, okay. Um, First things first, because I'm betting a lot of our listeners aren't necessarily 40 years old like us. Mm -hmm. What what the 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 the, the kind of I guess the genesis of the Mego action figure starts back in the 60s with GI Joe. The original GI Joe, those like foot tall thingies. Yeah, because those came out back in the day. The idea was uh, to make basically Barbie for boys. Okay, and that's where this idea of of well, the, the the definition I go by, a lot of people go by, that it was an action figure was because the original G.I. Joe, the 12-inch one, was super jointed, and he had hands that could hold mm -hmm. things, and they came with all kinds of accessories and stuff. Now, just to interrupt for a sec, was he the first action figure of his kind? Um, A lot of people say yes, although if you go back like in the 40s, one of the things you'll see is they made a uh, wooden Superman figure. Mm -hmm. That was jointed. Like, have you ever seen like the uh, the artist dummies, the wooden ones that are fully jointed for doing poses? Right, right. There was a Superman like that. 
Interesting. So, okay, so we get G.I. Joe, which is made by Miko then? Nope, that was Hasbro. Okay, Hasbro. So Hasbro was right there from the beginning. Interesting. Yep, and that's... If you take that as the genesis of the action figure, there were a lot of other uh, figures that kind of went that route. There was uh, Major Matt Mason, which were Mm -hmm. bendable figures. And then G.I. Joe was the most popular. Was Major Matt Mason an astronaut figure? Yeah, yeah, it's a... That was a whole other... They did them originally. The idea was to do realistic astronaut stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was super popular, right, like, up until the 70s. For obvious reasons, I suspect. Yeah, and then what I heard happened was as soon as they landed on the moon and didn't find cities and moon Amazons and stuff, everybody lost interest. Huh. Fancy that. Mm-hmm. Okay, sorry to interrupt. Uh continue. Well, okay. So, <laughs> it all um, kind of ties in. Oh, okay. So we've got Major Matt Mason, which was also by Hasbro, or was it by a different company? That was Mattel. That was Mattel. So Mattel and Hasbro, both familiar names, I'm sure, to most of our listeners, were producing their own, like, foot-tall action figures, which are nudge-nudge, wink-wink for boys. Got it. (laughs) Well, yeah, and that that was a thing. Um, In the early 70s, Mego, who started out, they did kind of like the, uh, the Dime Store novelty toys and that. Okay. They wanted to to essentially take a bite out of uh, the the GI Joe market, and then they uh, they they did a, a GI Joe copy that I be- I believe was the Fighting Yank. Okay, and it was it was like a cheap GI Joe. And what ended up happening in the early seventies was uh, the fuel crisis. Mm-hmm. That the price of oil skyrocketed, so it was expensive to get the plastic to make the twelve inch figures. Right. And Mego decided to do the same thing, but slightly smaller, and they did Action Jackson, who is an 8-inch figure. Actually, I've heard of Action Jackson, probably from you, but I think I'd heard of it even <laughs> before I met you. You probably remember from as a kid, because they sold millions, like literally millions of them. Yeah, I suspect probably I saw the commercials. That would be my bad. Oh, you saw the commercials. Yeah, yeah everybody saw the commercials. Okay, so they had Action Jackson, and I assume Action did very well for them, so Mego was a successful company. They were, and then what they did from there was uh, they got the rights to uh, DC superheroes. Okay, that sounds really good. It was, and what they would do is, shortly thereafter, they got the rights to Marvel as well. Mm-hmm. And what they would do is, they had um, a couple of generic bodies. Mm-hmm. So you had like an 8-inch male, 8-inch female. Uh, later on, they did like a fat dude body. They did like a kid body. Um, what And what they would do is you'd swap out the heads, the equipment, and the outfits. And then right. you could still, you could make any character you wanted relatively quick, because really all he needed was a head sculpt. I see. Is that one of the reasons why Mego has become a uh, favorite of toy customizers? Yeah, it is, because it's actually uh, pretty easy to pull off. Because again, you just have to sculpt a new head. And make one of those weird cloth suits that they all have. Yeah, and and you can you can whip one of them up uh, once you get the hang of it and have a sewing machine fairly easy. I see. So you've had to become an accomplished sewer as well when you're making these things. Yeah, but when I was a little kid, my grandma taught me how to sew, so I already knew how. So let's uh, just continue our little history lesson, then we'll talk more about actual you know making figs and stuff like that and the community. Okay. Um, so, okay, so Mego got the rights to make the Marvel and DC stuff. What happened yeah. to them next? Uh, well, they, they would pick up the rights to uh, damn near anything. And some of the ones that they they they, they did that were successful were surprising because they did The Wizard of Oz, mm-hmm. The Dukes of Hazzard. Mm-hmm. Uh, they produced their own lines. They did monsters. They did knights. They did pirates. Awesome. Yeah, as a kid, they did Star Trek. Wait, there are Star Trek Mego figures? Yeah. You don't remember the 8-inch uh, Mego guys? Oh, now that I think about it, yes, I do. I do remember them with the... with the fa- uh, They had a little phaser that came with them and stuff. Yeah, it was blue. Yes, yes, I do remember that. Yeah. Thing. Okay. <laughs> yep. Yeah, because again, they were everywhere. And all of this stuff was super popular. And then they ended up later on doing the Micronauts, mm-hmm. which was the uh, Japanese Microman line that they took some of the figures, they added some, they changed the story, and they were super popular for a while. I remember that. And in fact, there's a new Micronauts movie coming out. Well, they've been humming and hawing about that for a while. Nobody's exactly sure what's going on with that. But, uh, so they were the ones who actually made the Micronauts a success in North America. Yeah. 
So then I have to ask then, you know, since they had all these mega epic and successful toy lines, what happened to Mego? Um, there's kind of two stories to this. Mm-hmm. And I got to say, you're getting a really condensed version here for me. I um, believe it. it. Yeah, if, if you want to know anything about anything Mego, it's mm-hmm. uh, the MegoMuseum.com. Okay. Uh, we should put up a link to that. They, oh, there'll definitely be one in the show notes, yeah. Yeah, because they have that... The, the folks there have, like, researched the hell out of this, and they've gone into in-depth for absolutely everything that happened. So what you're saying is somewhere there's an angry Migo fan yelling at this recording right now saying you're getting it all wrong. <laughs> Quite possibly, yeah. Okay, well, they can join the rest of our hater club. Could we have a hater club? I'm pretty sure we do, or we will in the future at some oh, point. Why don't they post? I want hate mail. This is the internet, damn it. Okay, yeah, you you heard him, guys. You're letting us down. If you hate this show, please come and comment at uh, obeythedna.com. Pretend it's YouTube. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> we want, like, vitrolic comments. Come on. Yeah, I mean, I haven't been able to use my band button at all. <laughs> oh, the power. I know, I know. I have this band button and I can't use it because no one's posting nasty stuff. They're all posting smart, intelligent comments. <laughs> Damn them. I know, I know. Oh, well. <laughs> so. Why'd the company die? Yeah, why'd the company die? You said there are two stories. So what are these two stories? It's like a choose-your-own-adventure. Yeah. <laughs> one, one, one thing they say is that they kind of got into financial trouble because they overextended. It happens. And then um, one of the the rumors, which may have contributed to that, but wasn't as as big as everybody thinks it is, is that Mego didn't get Star Wars. They didn't get Star Wars. There's a rumor they didn't get Star Wars. Well, they didn't. What happened was because Mego was a huge company, uh, mm-hmm. so the story goes is is when Star Wars was coming out, Mego was offered first crack at doing the toys. Makes sense. But the guy who ended up doing the interview and looking into it was one of like the the lesser executives, mm-hmm. and he's the one I forget I forget his name. If you go to the Mego Museum, there's a whole section on that. Mm-hmm. But the idea is that he said, "Well, no, no thanks," because remember, like we talked about in a, a past show, mm-hmm. nobody really had um, high hopes for Star Wars when it came out, right? And then they didn't get it. Rumor has it the, the, the heads of the company would have jumped on it, mm-hmm. but they didn't. It went to Kenner, and then we all know what happened from there. Right, right. Of course, in hindsight, the heads of the company say, no, no, we would have jumped on it. Well, the, they might have, though, because there was a lot of, like I said, Mego picked up a lot of licenses. Mm-hmm. Um, they had the uh, Logan's Run license, actually, but they never right. put the figures out. That wasn't exactly a big kids movie, though. No, and it was the the figures they did were based on the TV show. Oh, okay. But the TV show itself only lasted one season. Yeah, but it was. I guess it was fairly popular. But I, I, I they didn't. In the end, they didn't think it was going to be popular enough to do the toys, so they just recycled them. Oh, okay. And the few of them that actually did get out as prototypes, and that a lot of like collectors are desperately trying to get a hold of, and they're super rare. Oh, okay. But they they have been seen. I guess there was a documentary back in the 70s that talked about toy manufacturing, and there's a scene where you see them recycling all the uh, Logan's Run figureheads. Okay. And yeah, collectors who watch that nowadays just shit themselves. (laughs) (laughs) I bet they do. Yeah. It's like watching them pulp. Um Action Comics number one was Superman. It's like, yeah, we got all this, these crappy old comics. We're just pulping them now. And you're just watching them feed them into the pulping machine. Yeah, no! That's basically... And then the worst thing, like I said, the uh, the figures never came out. One thing people found in, like, I guess the 90s was that the outfits they'd done for the Mego ones ended up on some of these, like, you know, like the cheap-ass dollar store Barbie ripoff dolls. Okay. Why would cheap ass Barbies be wearing Logan's Run clothes? Well, because it was they were already made and they just sell them off. Okay, makes sense. Like again, Meagle was huge um, when they went under uh, for like a decade or so afterwards. Other companies would just buy dead stock of the bodies because remember they did generic bodies, mm-hmm. 
and do new figures using like these old Mego bots because there was just so many of them when the company went under. Right. Hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. So they did. There was like a comp- couple companies did like Bible figures because I have Amigo Jesus. Oh, that's awesome. He hangs out with my Amigo Damien Hellstrom. So. <laughs> Uh-huh. Okay. So, yeah. you can you can use him as Jesus Christ vampire hunter. That's true. He's a happy looking. He actually kind of looks like Andy Gibb. Okay. So, you don't know who that is, do you? Andy Gibb, the name is really familiar. Bee Gees. What? The Bee Gees. Oh, from the Bee Gees. Yes, I actually yeah. Okay, yeah, I know who Andy. Yes, that's why. Yes, I know who he is. Yeah. Yeah, that's who the Migo Jesus looks like. He looks like Andy Gibb. So, he's a very 70s Jesus then. Yeah, yes he is. <laughs> okay, I can see that. All right, so so Amigo <laughs> dies, it becomes like this, you know, thing that you find in bargain bins and such. How does the whole Amigo collectors thing happen? Uh, collector or customizer? Okay, I guess we should go with collector first, then we'll get the customizer. Yeah, um there were a lot of collectors just because they were so widespread. And mm-hmm. I think pretty much everybody had good memories of playing with them as a kid. Like the the Mego style, the 8-inch style figure is a brilliant idea. Mm-hmm. Because it's big enough that they're fully poseable, that you can make all kinds. Like they can actually have guns that come out of the holsters and that. And they're small enough that you can make a lot of stuff for them. Mm-hmm. So you could do vehicles in that that would be relatively affordable for right. a figure like that. Okay, yeah, it makes sense. And so were there any, like, Mego, like, um, collector conventions in the 70s or anything like that? Um, I don't think there were just Mego ones, but because they did so many other things, like if you went to a comic convention, the 8-inch Mego figures would be popular. Uh, if you went to, like, a Star, Star Trek convention, the Star Trek figures would be popular. Um, if you went to, like, a Chips convention, you could have, like, Eric Estrada sign your action figure and stuff sorry to interrupt i think i remember back when the ni- back in the 90s we used to go to the uh, motor city comic con in detroit and i do remember in the dealers room uh-huh. them having mego figures i think you could actually see them up and yeah. various dealers had like the pack packs of them and stuff up for sale oh yeah because again they were they were popular they were even um they did an exchange uh in japan mm-hmm. with uh i believe it was poppy Okay. That did um, Mego-esque figures. The hands were different because they have, like, big Shogun Warrior punching fists. But they did, like, Mego Ultraman and Battle Fever J and mm-hmm. a bunch of the Cayman Rider guys. Wow. I bet those are real collector's items for some of the American fans, too. They are, especially because, like, say, the Ultraman ones, to get that kind of semi-shiny sheen to it, the material they use disintegrates. Ooh, okay, that's a problem. Yes, it is. <laughs> so I guess you can get them, but they're not going to be in very good condition at this point. No, no, the the, the Japanese ones, not so much. Um, were they actually cheaper than the American ones, I mean, quality-wise? I think they were pretty much the same. It was just, like I said, the uh, the Ultramans, it was mostly just the, the, the material they had to use. Right. So the rest of them, if you can find them, are in about about as good a shape, except old Migos tend to be battered because, again, they got played with to death. Right. Okay. All right. So let's move on then to the whole customizing thing. So we might as well start with you. So how did you get involved with the whole customizing thing? Uh, when I was a little kid, me and my grandfather always wanted to, to make action figures. Mm-hmm. And we, we tried, but you didn't have the, I guess, the technology back then. And then right. once you got to the 80s, you started having garage kit companies that would like literally be a couple of guys making resin model kits. They'd crank out like 50 or 100 of them on their own. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that kind of material is the stuff that you'd use to do a custom action figure. Right. Hmm. Okay, then. And so how specifically did you get involved with, like, Migos and such? Um. Well, what happened with... Uh, with the Mego stuff, again, even when I was a kid, because I knew how to sew, I'd do, like, extra, like, equipment and stuff for them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think a lot of people would do that sort of thing, and they always did. 
But what happened in the early 90s was there was a guy by the name of Charlie Flat mm-hmm. that he used to do um, these really like high quality custom characters using the, the Mego body as, as the base. Mm-hmm. And he was kind of the first customizer that anybody knew of. Mm-hmm. And he used to do commissions. It'd be like 100, 200 bucks at the time for a custom figure. I always wanted a custom of one of the characters from my comic. Mm-hmm. And I went looking for this guy to see if I could, if I could get one done. And I never found him. But I found a guy by the name of Darren Wiltshire mm-hmm. who sent me a, a photocopy of an article that Charlie Flat had done about how he does custom figures. Right. And then that was what I went off of that. And then um, getting extra info from the uh, garage kit guys for how to cast parts and stuff. Well, that's one of the things I wanted to talk about. So this must involve like a fairly intensive process, right? I mean, what's the process to cast one of these things? And don't you need like special resins or plastics as well? You, you do, but you can get a lot of it because uh, of the garage kit thing in the 80s. You can get a lot of it fairly easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I used, for making the molds themselves, I used GI-1000 room temperature vulcanizing rubber. And I rest my case. Oh, yeah, but you can get that. That stuff's fairly, like, uh, there's all kinds of plastic distributors. I get mine out from a place in Mississauga. Okay. Um, a lot of people go by the company Smooth On. Mm-hmm. That they make all kinds of different resins and, and rubbers. Mm-hmm. And then the actual casting of the parts... Uh, yeah, I use polyurethane, and it comes in two parts. You mix it one-to-one, and it flows like water, and it hardens within about a minute or so. And so for the actual sculpts and such, what do you use? you use plasticine? How do you make the actual um, default, I guess, mold? Or the, what's that called? The thing you use to actually make the mold out of? The The master? Yes, yeah, there we go. Oh, I go through, I use all kinds of stuff. Because again, I, um, I've been building model kits forever and it's basically the same skill set. So I keep like a bunch of generic heads around or if I cast a head and it doesn't work. Hmm? I was going to say, see folks, we weren't joking about him having a basement full of heads and body parts. Oh, I got tons because one of the other nice things about the, uh, the Mego, uh, body Mm -hmm. is it's held together by pins and rubber Mm -hmm. bands. Okay. So it's pretty easy. Like I've cast different hands, different arms, different bodies, and you can just kind of swap it all together to make any character you need. That's pretty cool. But okay, but I have to ask then, if you go through all the trouble to make this mold and to make this character, you can only use it once, right? I mean, isn't that a lot of effort to make just one character? The mold? Hmm. No, you can use them a lot. But do you need more than one of these figures? (laughs) I build armies. Okay, then. But if you're making Superman, you don't need to make, like, ten Superman, do you? Nah, for for stuff like that, I do what's called a case mold. Okay. Uh, you just use the silicone to do the, the, the face of the mold, like the parts that are actually going to contact the plastic. Mm-hmm. And then I fill the rest of it in with, like, plaster of Paris, because it's super cheap. Okay. And it's not as durable, because the thinner the, the rubber, the more likely it is to tear or warp. Right. Because the, uh, the resin heats up when it mm-hmm. hardens. Mm-hmm. But if I only need a couple, then yeah, I do that. But I need my Galactor army, right. so I did a proper mold for that. Wait, did you build the thin ones and the fat ones? I was going to make the bunch because I've been making my way for the last year through the, the TV show because they put them all out on disc. By the way, folks, we're talking about Battle of the Planets here. No, A.K.A. Gotcha Man. Gotcha Man. <laughs> yep. It's Battle okay. of the Planets with the good parts left. <laughs> or I guess it would also be Eagle Riders and G-Force, depending on which dub. Yeah, it's true. Okay, um, okay, <laughs> so, and we're and when he talks about Galactor, he's talking about the generic bad guy minions. Yeah, because you always need a bunch of generic bad guys. Well, yes, that way they can have wars with, like, your Migo Stormtroopers. Do you have Migo yeah. Stormtroopers? Uh, I haven't figured out a good way to do the armor yet, but I've got a bunch of them with boots and heads. Okay. So they're like naked. They just have boots and heads. <laughs> yeah. Right okay. now they're fighting with, uh, my Migo Cobra guys. 
actually, I guess I should ask. So how <laughs> many Miko figures do you actually have? Like if one of our guests were to visit your domain, how many figures would he find? Just the Miko figures? Yeah, just the Miko figures. Uh, four or five hundred. Sweet Jesus. Well, once you start making them on your own, you just crank those things out. Your house must look like a Migo museum. Kind of. Then all the model kits and stuff. But yeah, it's getting there. Yeah, that's in addition to your other (laughs) toys. Good Lord, man. Um, In case anyone's wondering, Don is single and lives alone. (laughs) Yes, he does. There are very few women on this planet that would probably accept the amount of toys that Don has in his home. My house is kind of an estrogen-free zone. Wow, that's impressive. You've been making them for what, then, about 20 years at this point? Yeah, probably. Because I think I remember back in university, when I was at the tail end of university, you just started to make these things, I think. Yeah, because I did the Post Brothers. Yes, yeah, you did the Post Brothers. I think that was one of the very first molds you made, wasn't it? Yep, and you can tell because I screwed up the the mold, and it turned out a little funky, but... It's the Post Brothers. Okay, yeah, I do remember them. I've seen them. Yeah, Mm -hmm. you did an okay job, but you'd probably want to go back someday and actually redo them. Maybe. Just touch up them. The the sculpts were okay. It was the mold that got a little arc bargled. Well, you'd just begun, right? So that happens. Yeah. Okay, I can totally see that. Okay, so so you're actually involved with the Migo community as well, right? There's like a whole customizer community. You're not alone in this obsession. Um, I was, I kind of drifted away, but yeah, there's, there's, if you go to the Migo Museum, there's a lot of guys that do customs there and a lot of them do fantastic stuff and they'll trade parts and that with you. Right. And there's a, uh, there's actually companies that are producing Migo style figures and like you can buy just Migo bodies from them. Okay. And how many of these bodies and body parts do they actually make? Uh, well, it, it depends. Like, um. If you go to DocMigo.com, mm-hmm. he sells uh, a few different body parts. He's been um, doing new figures because mm-hmm. they did, like, uh, figures for the original Night of the Living Dead. Right. And he sells uh, he sells a bunch of different kinds of bodies. And the Doc Migo ones are pretty good. Uh, there's also classic TV toys mm-hmm. that their stuff tends to be a little cheaper. It's not as high quality. But you can get it in bulk, and they've been they've been doing new um, Beagle figures as well. Because mm-hmm. they just started putting out like uh, stuff for the nineteen sixty six Batman TV show, and the uh, the next one's coming up next is uh, the monkeys. Mm-hmm. So if you need a uh, uh, Peter Tork to wrestle with Batman, you're good to go. Now, are these officially licensed ones, or is this all just under the table fan stuff? Oh, no, this stuff is all official. Wow. And then there was another company, uh, was it Biff Bang Pow? Mm-hmm. Was doing, they did, like, the original Battlestar Galactica. And they did, uh, they did Lost. Uh-huh. And they did, like, like there's a whole bunch, there was another company that was doing, uh, United States Presidents. Okay. And then they would do monster versions of the Presidents. Okay. And that was really weird, and it's... It's because there's, the Migo community is kind of small but dedicated. Mm-hmm. So if you can produce something like this, get the licensing for cheap enough to, to keep the cost relatively low, mm-hmm. they, they do quite well. It almost and, sounds like Migo's getting more popular, not less, with time. Ah, uh, well, it's, it's, it's... I think when when you look at the 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 newer fans, I think it might have peaked a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. But I think there's still enough lifers that it's going to be a viable community at least like until we die. Wow. Now, do you think that uh, Toy Fair years ago used to have Twisted Mego Theater, which of course eventually yeah. evolved into like Robot Chicken? And if I remember right, there's even a version kind of a Robot Chicken slash Twisted Mego Theater on Marvel's site called What the that they've been oh. doing. Yeah, and that's that's a thing. I forgot all about that. If you watch uh Robot Chicken, those are those are Mego figures. A lot of them are, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, they they uh muck with them a little bit so that you can do the move the joints a little differently for stop action, but those are all essentially Mego figures. Wow. Huh. 
I mean, I know they occasionally slip in other, you know, action figure toys and such. But yeah, yeah you're right. They are pretty much all Amigo figures. So what I was going to ask, though, was, so has all this exposure in pop culture actually brought in people to the Amigo community or increased interest? I think for uh, for a little bit it did. And this is why I think it, it might have peaked, because I don't know if you're going to get, like, a younger crowd in in, in big numbers, but mm-hmm. you got a lot of people who remembered this. And like I said, because this was something... The Mego figures were one of the best toys ever made. Right. And it brought back memories for people. And you'd see Robot Chicken, they'd be like, oh, wait, those look kind of like the... And then you see at the end, like, I believe at least in the first couple seasons of that, they actually... the They credit Doc Mego. Really? In, in like, the, uh, in the end credits. Yeah. Huh. And it's because I'm betting that's where they got a lot of bodies. Because, like I say, he does really good stuff. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. And the Mego figures would be posable enough, I guess, to do the stop motion stuff with. Yep. There's a, uh, what they call a swivel arm one. Mm-hmm. Which uh, Doc Mego does. Uh, that it turns, like, if you remember the old G.I. Joe three and a half guys with the uh, battle grip. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's that. And once you do that, yeah, they're, they're, pretty, uh, they're pretty posable. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So have you ever thought yourself of using these 400 plus Mego figures to try to do some like twisted Mego theater type uh, strips or something with? Why I have. Oh, that's right. You have, haven't you? Yeah. I take lots of pictures and do little comic strips and. And where could people see these if they wanted to? Uh, some of my stuff might still be up at the Mego Museum. Okay, yeah, that's right. You used to put them up at the Mego Museum, didn't you? You show, used to post them. Yeah, and there's some of it's floating around online. Because I did a lot of stuff. Right. <laughs> I well, still may- do. Well, maybe when this airs, we could actually like uh, either link to some of that, or um, you could even post some on the site so people could see them. Okay, I could do that. I think that that would be pretty cool, actually. Because <laughs> I have the ultimate Mego backdrop. Oh, what's that? Super City. What's Super City? <laughs> you don't know? Your mom never bought Woman's Day magazine? Uh, my mother was a Chatelaine woman. She didn't buy Woman's oh. Day magazine. Okay. That's, cause just, and again, for the younger viewers, Woman's Day magazine used to totally kick all the ass. Because okay. they, they would do articles. My mother used to get it all the time. And they would do articles for different kinds of play sets. And mm-hmm. one of one of the things you could send away for uh, was the plans for Super City, which was a Mego scale city block that you built out of corrugated cardboard. Wow. Yeah, a few years ago, I tracked down, a, there's a book, it's the a Woman's Day Book of Best Loved Crafts. Mm-hmm. And it has the plans in it, and I tracked it down and I built the city, because since I was a kid, I always wanted to finish it. I bet you did. How much cardboard did that take? It took a lot. <laughs> I bet. And so did you build little cars and little things to go in Mego City? I, I've, I've got some. Okay. I actually built a 8-inch uh, scale Mego Mangler. What's a Mego Mangler? What happened back in the day is uh, Mego kind of, they kind of flirted with the idea of doing like three and a half inch figures. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just because of Star Wars. It was because of uh, Fisher-Price did the Adventure People. Right. And those were super popular as well. So Mego did, like, superheroes, but they're in this weird kind of He-Man-esque squatting pose. And they have this one mm-hmm. awkwardly designed hand that we'll have to link to a picture of because it can't be explained. Okay, <laughs> then. They did some vehicles that. One of the vehicles they did was, it was called the Mangler. It's like, picture a tank. But instead of, like, a turret, it's got a big mouth on the one end. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the toys they came up, and you could have it eat superheroes, and it came with, like, a cutout of, like, the character that okay. came with the Green Goblin. So you could put him in, put the figure in, and then it would come out the back and look like it flattened him. Okay, then. It was really silly, but who wouldn't want a tank with, like, a giant mouth? So I built one in 8-inch uh, scale. I was going to say, you'd have to build it in 8-inch scale, so it must be huge. Yes, it is. Yeah, it's, it's the same size as my Mego Cyberpunk AV4. You, 
I need to stop just asking this. This is just shocking. I didn't realize some of these things you'd build. You built a Cyberpunk AV4 for Migo Scale. You built a Cyberpunk AV4 in Migo Scale. Yup. That's crazy. Yeah, for all my Cyberpunk characters. Jesus. Okay, That's... wait. How many <laughs> vehicles have you built to go along with these Migo characters? Not as many as I'd like because they take up a lot of space. So, okay, okay. Well, I guess you've got to have some vehicles to go with them. So, okay. Well, it looks good in the city. I had to build Judge Dredd's Lawmaster. Obviously, yeah. Because you built a Judge Dredd, I imagine that was one of your early Miko figures. Yeah, because like he's awesome. Of course. <laughs> Well, speaking of which, so what is the pride and joy of your Mego collection? What is the figure you are most proud of? Uh, I think the, 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 the one that I got a bunch that turned out really good that it's mm-hmm. hard to, it's hard to pick the one I think is the best, but usually my silliest ones turn out the best. Okay. Well here, give me your like top three or four. It's okay. Okay. I think the ones that I like the most is, uh. My Tor Johnson. Okay. Uh, Professor Badass. Who is Professor Badass? He was an internet meme. You never saw Professor Badass? No. No? Apparently you're more plugged in than I am with some of these memes. <laughs> Which is scary because I'm a Luddite. I know. I'm feeling really <laughs> left out here. No, it was just this picture of this dude walking like down the street and... He he just, somebody labeled him Professor Badass, because that's exactly what he looks like. Okay, I'll go see if I can find the picture of him for the show notes. Yeah, if if you look up Meagle Professor Badass, a picture of my action figure will come up. Okay, awesome. <laughs> so you did, okay, Tor Johnson, Professor Badass, who else? Oh, shoot, there's hundreds. I, I want three or four, dude, not hundreds. Okay. <laughs> I think the one, though, that I probably like the most, at least at the moment, was uh, Ginger Dalmolik. Who's Ginger Dalmolik? It's one of my characters. You don't okay. remember the remember the Dimsfurt comic? Oh, yes, that thing. Yes, okay, yeah. I do remember that. Yeah, the Uptight Witch? Yep. That was the one that I wanted to have a custom done of. I see, okay. But I never, I never got a hold of uh, Charlie Flat back when he was doing that. And then years later, I made one myself. Right, which is probably better than his would have been anyway. Maybe, because it's an entire scratch build. Right. Which is a huge pain in the ass, but... I bet it was, but obviously <laughs> you consider it worth it, because it was one of your favorite figures. Yes. Um, we'll talk about your comic, of course, in another episode. Oh, God, no. No! Don't worry, it's coming. I'm sure Our audience will definitely want to hear about that. Um <laughs> The okay. sad, sad story. That's going to be a long story in and of itself. <laughs> Probably it's going to take... That'll be our two-hour special. Maybe three. Yeah, an hour and a half of which will just be sobbing. So. <laughs> exactly. Uncontrolled sobbing. Yeah. All right. But uh, let's, let's, let, let's keep this focused here. Okay, so <laughs> you, um, if I remember right, also made a little bit of a side business, like actually selling and trading Mego parts yourself, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, I still do that every now and then, because uh, a lot of guys would trade because I can do guns. Interesting. Is that hard? Um, well, doing guns and characters, they're kind of two separate skill sets, because mm-hmm. cause guns are all what they call, like, straight-edge carving. Mm-hmm. So, and then, like, uh, characters require, like, because it's, it's you're doing, like, like a head... There's a lot of different, because it's organic, there's a lot of more subtlety to the carving in that. Mm-hmm. So. That makes sense. That makes sense. Okay. And uh, so you just have a natural talent for building weapons of destruction. Yeah. And death. Yeah, I have a whole stockpile of strange, strange weapons. Okay. Okay. Well, that's that's good to know. So if you need a weapon for your uh, Migo action figures, uh, make sure you get a hold of Dawn because he is the man. Anything in 1-8 scale. Anything in 1-8 scale. Okay. <laughs> so, Don, where do you see the future of Miko going? Like, what do you think is going to happen with the hobby overall? Um. Well, it's it's like a lot of stuff. Uh, like I said, I think probably the heyday 
of the comeback mm-hmm. for uh, like Meagle collectors mm-hmm. has sort of sort of come and gone. Oh, really? Okay. But I think there's enough staying power that it's always going to be a thing. Right. But hold on a sec. I mean, there's all those uh, figures about movie characters being made right now. And of course, I think Robot Chicken has partly inspired that. Right. I mean, if anything, aren't there more Mego figures being made now than ever? Well, see, that's the ironies. Yeah, they are. Um, it was a few years ago, if you counted all the companies doing them, mm-hmm. that the total of, uh, they call it Remigo. Okay. The, 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 the second generation of them. Okay. But those outnumbered the ones that Mego themselves actually produced. Wow. Okay. Um, the only thing I would say, the only uh, kind of problem, mm-hmm. I would say for for the current fan market constantly expanding, I think it will, but I think you'll see a more severe drop-off. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people don't have the, uh, I guess, the remembrance of actually playing with them. Okay. And a lot of the ones that are coming out now, they're being geared for older fans and collectors, so they're a little more expensive. Right. So what you're and, saying, there's going to be no nostalgia connection with these Mego figures? Um, I think, yeah, for the most part. But you'll have people, because like I said, because like Robot Chicken, mm-hmm. and um, Mego's been a presence for a long time. Um, if you look at any, say, comic book... Mm-hmm. American comic book produced prior to say 2000. Anytime you saw like a character, especially like a superhero, being marketed in the comic mm-hmm. and they'd show the toys, mm-hmm. they're Mego action figures. Okay. Like uh, if you go to The Watchmen when Ozzy Mendias's company was planning on doing figures of him and some of the other char- like characters, right. when you see the pictures of them, those are much closer to a Mego style figure than what you would see, what what was being produced at the time, toy-wise. Right, yeah. That was the heyday of, like, the small G.I. Joes, which are, what, three inches, right? Yep, which came after the uh, heyday of the Star Wars guys. Right, yeah, okay. But I guess the Watchmen, of course, were supposed to have a kind of resonance with the old days anyway, the whole nostalgia factor there, too. So that makes sense that the toys would be the Mego-sized toys. Yep, and plus that's what the people writing it would have remembered as toys right. from when they were a kid. Makes sense. And that's why I say there's 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 always a presence, but it doesn't draw the new audience in like it would if it was kids playing with them. Mm-hmm. Well, hold on then. So are you saying that the current collectors don't play with them? Like they don't buy them to play with at all? Um, <laughs> you're trying to make me admit to something, aren't you? Um, no, Don, if you want to play with yourself, that's perfectly okay. It's very acceptable. I don't play with myself. I play with my little eight-inch friends. My only friends. The only ones who've never betrayed me. I mean, anyway. All 400 um, of them. (laughs) At least. I've never counted. Um. Ask them to take roll call sometime. (laughs) Well, If you get an answer, we have a problem. I I have a funny story about that. Oh? Uh, do, do you remember Corn? Yes, I do, yeah. The one the first time he came to my house, mm-hmm. I had uh, an army of stormtroopers lined up on the uh, living room table, mm-hmm. and I had like a an army helmet on, and I was currently dressing one of them down because he didn't salute when I walked into the room. Okay, and that that was the first time Corn he just walked in and he saw that and you could tell by the look on his face he wasn't sure if that was horrifying or the coolest thing he'd ever seen. Okay, then. Um, so did that soldier get his salute ready after a while? He, he actually managed to, you know, tighten up? Oh, hell yeah. Okay. Yeah, he knew better. Well, when you have a giant drill sergeant yelling at you, I suppose that happens. Yeah, but, but anyway. Mm. But that's that's the kind of thing I think um, when you talk about any kind of, like, like, like toys, mm-hmm. there are the collectors mm-hmm. who are, again, uh, like we've talked about before, that see them as an investment and put them away. Right. But there are also the fans who find, like, novel things to to do with them. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of people would do displays and, and do little uh, fumetti. Okay. Just like uh, like the Twisted uh, Toy Fair Theater. Oh, that kind of stuff, do. right. Okay. And then people will pose them on top of their uh, top of their computer and that. And I know people who do displays. Right. And it's it's just the sort of thing that, that as an older fan... Mm-hmm. 
you get into. You don't necessarily play with them as much, but there's still an appeal to them. Mm-hmm. That's not entirely nostalgia. Okay. So you're not playing with them, but you're not collecting them. So what is the appeal then? Well, um, like I say, I have to count myself as a fan. Okay. Because I just, I get them because I like them. Mm-hmm. And um, for me and for a lot of people, that's where the customizing comes in. Right. Because as an older fan, uh, part of the appeal is to make figures that were never made. Mm-hmm. And to have, finally, a figure of, like, every character who is ever cool. Right. That it's it's kind of uh, the nerdy version of, like, the guys who fix cars. Right. Or the, the, the people who restore old antique furniture and that. But if you want to make figures of the stuff you like, and you're always finding new stuff you like, isn't that a never-ending process? Yep. Okay, well, I guess it, it's good that you're... Uh, skilled at making Mego figures, then, because you're going to be making a lot of them, I suppose. Oh, probably. Speaking and of which, so so when are you going to make Mego figures of uh, you know you and I for the show? You know, the Department of Nerdly <laughs> Affairs. <laughs> you know, a lot of people have always been terrified that I was going to start doing that. I believe it. Well, but they thought you were going to do it <laughs> as like a voodoo doll or something, right? <laughs> or a replacement. And when I kill you, your soul will inhabit this and bring it to life. <laughs> but. But I would never do that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. Um, if anything happens to me, folks, you know what happened. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> He's in the studio with me. <laughs> Luckily, we record these separately from each other, so um, that's not really an issue at this point. <laughs> There's an endorsement. <laughs> uh, unless you're using your cell phone and you're really downstairs, in which case I have a problem on my hands. Uh, that's where you're safe. I'm a Luddite. Oh, okay. Awesome. I don't have a cell phone. Okay. Well, you could use, like, a you know, a wire and a tin can, I suppose. That would work, too. <laughs> okay. So, do you think that things like 3D printing are going to affect, like, the future of Mego? Uh, I think in a... Yeah, because I know well, that there's guys now mm-hmm. that produce, like, custom parts using 3D printers. Right. Uh, they're a little expensive, and the uh, the plastic they use is mostly, like, ABS. Okay. Uh, like what a Lego block is made out of. Wouldn't that make them incredibly rigid? It does, and it's it's trickier to work because it doesn't necessarily hold paint as well. Mm. Okay. And it can be trickier to get parts that'll fit together because they don't have a lot of plasticity. Okay. But once they get different materials in that, I'm sure you'll see that. Right. Eventually, anyone will basically be able to print off their own little Mego figures based on templates and such. You just yeah. customize them using some special program. You can make your favorite character, and bing, it'll pop out a toy version or a, maybe a figure version or a doll version or whatever you want. Yeah. Um, I think you'll probably start seeing that because when you think about how the wave of nostalgia works mm-hmm. in a roughly like 20-year cycle... right. You're looking at people getting nostalgic for the 90s. Mm-hmm. God help us. And the, well, yeah, the the 90s was when you had like action figures become collectible. That's true. And you had mentioned like uh, the uh, McFarlane figures mm-hmm. earlier. Yeah, yeah. And, and that was what kind of started that ball rolling. And they were minimally articulated, but they were super detailed because mm-hmm. again, they weren't meant as playthings. They were collectibles. Right. And I think once you see. Um, the people who have that kind of attitude move to the fore mm-hmm. with the advancements in 3D printing. I think you'll see a big boom in that mm-hmm. because it's it's a lot easier to have a printer print out a finished figure, mm-hmm. like a figurine maybe that's not even articulated but has all of that detail. That makes sense, actually. And, and in fact, you could actually create even highly articulated but highly detailed figures eventually too yeah and and it it would take kind of a hand assembly after you've done all the parts mm. which i don't know if you'll get as many people interested in right uh because i know a lot of people now who do like the custom egos they use old school sculpting techniques mm-hmm. And that's part of the appeal. That's part of the the, the fun, the tactileness of right. It. Yeah, the physically building something, and mm-hmm. I think that'll hold true for a lot of people. I mean, 
many people like to work with their hands one way or the other. And this has that physical appeal that even if you're creating like 3D sculpted, like computer graphic characters that you could eventually like render, there's still, it's not quite the same, I think, as making a character in, um, well, out of plastic or whatever with your own hands, like molding it and shaping it and painting it, etc. But then again, I'm a little bit Luddite too, so probably that (laughs) attitude won't apply to the next generation. Well, it, I think you'll always have uh, some of that. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, for uh, like the, the people who do custom Mego figures, mm-hmm. because the figures themselves were so tactile, like that was mm-hmm. the idea going back to the original G.I. Joe, mm-hmm. that you had a posable figure with all kinds of accessories, and they had pouches you could put things in and holsters that would hold weapons, and you could have actual slings on the weapons, and their hands would hold stuff, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you could add extra armor. That'll always be part of the figure, and I think, again, that's why the the tactile joy of building it with your own two hands carries over. Right. Hmm. That makes sense. And, yeah, we... Being physical beings, we still have that urge to actually make things physical. Mm-hmm. Although I can imagine some people might just be okay with like sculpting them digitally, having them rendered by a 3D printer, and then just playing with them. That would probably work too. Well, it could. And I'm, I'm wondering, because mm-hmm. this is where, like, like I said, I think the uh, Savory Migo movement mm-hmm. might, have, might have, have peaked, but it's possible a technological advancement could see a return of that for that reason that you would have um thanks to like 3d printing and manufacture on demand mm-hmm. it would again be cheap to produce amigo style figure yes it would yeah and then they'd be produced as playthings again and then kids would actually play with them and then you build up that that large pool of nostalgia that would then when they get older they'd recollect them uh, you'd probably have the same idea that people would want to customize them right. and things like that. Okay, that that can definitely make sense. I mean, one of the selling points are... Actually, here, are you familiar with Microsoft's HoloLens? No. You know what that is? It's basically Microsoft's augmented reality system. You know, so where oh, they're, you know, okay. they're imprinting stuff over the real world. You wear these right. incredibly dorky-looking glasses that... Look, um, have you ever seen the magnifying glasses that people in the old days used to use? And you'd wear regular glasses underneath, then you'd have these extra huge magnifying visor, and you'd put them, they'd put them on for looking like at stamps, or if old people, if they had weak eyes for reading. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I use stuff like that when I sculpt something. Yeah, exactly. So that's basically what the HoloLens glasses look like. And you're, so you're kind of focused through these tiny little lenses. But anyway, so they imprint data over the world. But one of the right. things that they've been selling is, is the idea that, and they have computer animated versions of this in their promo videos, etc. Is the idea of building stuff and using it as a sculpting tool for creating 3D objects and for 3D things. And then use 3D printer to actually bring that thing into the real world to make an actual hard copy of it. Okay. So they've kind of been already pushing that idea of it kind of as a hobby of, um, well, of course, these aren't commercially available yet, I should know. These are still in developers' hands right now. But they're pushing right. the idea that of doing 3D sculpting with these things and then pairing that with the 3D printing technology, which would apply to statues originally, but eventually I think would apply to toys and other things like that too. Yeah. Well, it'd it, it go commercial in a hurry. Yes. Oh, yeah. Once it worked. Once it's practical and once it's cheap enough. Yeah. So I suspect, here we're looking five to ten years. Five to ten years from now, I'd say ten years definitely for cheap enough. Five years for practical. Mm -hmm. And I might even be actually underestimating how fast things are going to change. But uh, that's what we're looking at right now. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. I can see that affecting the toy market and such. But, I mean, at that point, toys will be like anything else, right? You'll be able to go through a catalog, see a toy. It's like, yeah, I want that toy. And you just 3D print a copy of it off. At least for physical hard plastic toys. Stuff things, that's a little trickier. In theory, yeah. But all you'd have to do is uh, Mm -hmm. you'd have to come up with a a device that would produce that that would do all the machining on its own right that you just keep stocked with material well my mother has a advanced um sewing machine that effectively you just feed 
thread and material into the damn thing. It's basically almost a 3D printer. You just feed that stuff in, and it will just print th- print out patterns. It'll print out all sorts of things onto the uh, actual cloth, and to some degree even shape it. I don't know if it'll cut the cloth, but it could easily do that if it wanted to, I suppose. Or they could make one that could do that. Yeah. At this point, making 3D printed clothes, I guess it wouldn't count as 3D printed, but a cloth printer, basically, or clothing printer, is totally doable, I'd say. Oh, hell yeah. Like, um, there's actually a, a bunch of the, the Migo guys have done that. Oh, okay. That for the outfits, they'll, they print them out, they print the patterns out on cloth. Mm-hmm. And then you just cut them out and you sew them up on your right. own. Okay, yeah, that would work. So are some of them actually even, like, selling those? You can actually get these outfits for your characters? Oh, there was there was one uh, one fellow a few uh, few years ago. I got a creature from the Black Lagoon from him. Wow. Okay. And and it was a kit. It was castings of the head, the hands, and the feet. Mm-hmm. And then one of these cloth printed outfits. And no, it it looks magnificent. It actually looks like because it's essentially a little version of the suit that the guy actually wore. Like, right. Yeah. Yeah. It would look perfect. It does. And and I could see. Um, at some point, you'll have a lot of stores, especially like say, like clothing stores, and that will be manufacturer on demand. Mm. I think that's going to happen you, soon. Yeah, yeah, that it would go in. You pick the outfit. It does the measurements, and then they have like a little mini factory in the back that fires all of this stuff up, prints it out. There's probably a couple of people who will be back there sewing it up, mm-hmm. checking it out, and then it's done. They don't carry any actual stock. Yep, I think variants of 3d printing or that kind of printing is basically the future of almost everything like almost all manufactured goods yeah because you're already seeing that again uh we mentioned before with like the role-playing games Mm -hmm, that's true that most companies are putting out pdf copies of them now yeah and if you want to print it off you just go down to your local kinkos or mailboxes etc or whatever is around you and just tell them to make it into a book and they do well, they might not because there'll be copyright problems. Oh, yeah. Well, okay. There is that. But you can buy, like, my cheap-ass $70 printer can pr- do everything except the binding. Right. Actually, that's and... true. I wonder if they would do the binding. Like, you could probably still go to Kinko's with copyrighted material and get them to bind it because they didn't actually print it. Eh, they'll be iffy. Like, I've had problems. I've gone, uh... There was one place that I used to go to. They got a uh, a new person working, mm-hmm. and the one time I went, she refused to print my stuff. It was my actual comic, right? That I had done because she didn't think it was mine, right? Yeah, she thought you're printing she, off someone else's work. Yeah, yeah, which is kind of flattering and frustrating at the same yeah, time. Yeah, that is pretty but... cool, actually. Congratulations, <laughs> you're a plagiarist, but awesome. Yeah, of myself, of yourself. exactly. <laughs> But you can do, like, you can just go to, like, Staples that You can buy binding machines. Oh, that's right, yeah. I think you can get, like, a cheap one for, like, 20 bucks. And it's just, like, a press. Mm-hmm. You can do the spiral ones where it's, like, like a hole punch, except mm-hmm. it punches, like, 20 holes. And then you just, the, the spirals are, are, you just wrap them around the thing and you're good to go. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so there's lots of options. Yeah, and like I say, I think in the future that'll be a... That'll be a standard for most things, that it'll be it'll be done like that. Well, there's already so many print-on-demand books as it is. I mean, it's almost not worth going to Staples. You just need to send either send the PDF to some service online or just mm-hmm. you get it from the actual company. Yeah, because I know that that was um, for, for old game books. Because, mm-hmm. as I said before, I'm trying to finish my collection. There's a lot of the guys that have the rights to them now. Mm-hmm. That will do that. You can order an actual book from them. They print them, bind them on demand, mm-hmm. and just send it to you. Yeah. Well, they don't don't even do it themselves. They just give the rights to another service. Yeah. And then that service does it for them. So, And they just get the profit, basically. They just share the profit with the service. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, 3D printing is going to change the world um, in good and bad ways. Yep. <laughs> I read somewhere that actually Apple is effectively making the world's most advanced robotic factory. It's somewhere in California. Mm-hmm. I think they're still working on it. The idea being that it's, it is, it is in effect, a kind of gigantic 3D printer is the best way to describe it. It's basically because mm-hmm. they don't want to pay you know, underpaid Chinese laborers to do it anymore. They're, it's basically yeah. just going to take, take bits and uh, assemble them into whatever Apple wants. 
And yeah, there'll be some retooling and redesigning involved, but as these things get more advanced, things required physically will become less and less. And eventually they'll just be able to basically say, yeah, here's a new design, print this up. Yeah. And bang, it'll assemble it. As many copies as they want. Well, there's a... Oh, there was a a thing online. There's um, mm-hmm. It's a Lego series mm-hmm. that it's motorized and such, but yeah, you, you plug it into your computer. Mm-hmm. And the computer will control... Uh, the servos and stuff. And they, 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 they originally you'd make like robots and right. That. There was a bunch of people made a factory out of Lego that makes things in Lego. Holy crap. That there's little, and it, 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 the ones they had were very simple, but it's programmed with simple, like five or six brick designs. Right. And there are hoppers, and this entire thing's like made out of Lego. Okay. And there are hopper, hoppers full of loose blocks, and you'd program it in, and this machine, made out of Lego, would take all these Lego components and snap them together and make your finished Lego thing out of Lego from a factory of Lego. I, for one, welcome our new Lego overlords. <laughs> yeah, who would have thought, eh? <laughs> wow. Well, there's a kid, actually, who made it like a, a Braille printer out of Lego. I saw an article mm-hmm. about that. He he basically took what's considered like a $2,000, that they started $2,000, printer, and he basically made a Lego version they could make for like 20 to 30 bucks. <laughs> and um, yeah, so it's it's impressive what people can do nowadays. We're, we're sitting on the real edge of a revolution at this point. And, and yeah, because this is people doing these things for shits and giggles. Yep. But they have actual real world applications and they kind of point to what things are going to look like in 5, 10, 15 years. Yeah, it's going to be some scary shit. Mm-hmm. Kind of going back to our cyberpunk discussion not too long ago. Yep. Um cuz the question is, yeah, what are people going to do? Yeah. Hmm. Basically sit there and play with their amigos, I guess. If they're lucky. If, well, that's true. Because you'd require yeah. a job to be able to have money to afford to, you know, buy those Migos or pay for your, the 3D printed Migos or whatever. Yeah. So that's a bit of a problem. Although by by that time, the machines will have achieved sentience and you can pick up a couple of bucks by becoming a techno-barbarian warlord and going out into the wasteland and taking down some of the nano nanite-controlled zombies that the uh, computer general is using to attack the uh, last human freeholds. That sounds like a bunch of Mego figures you need to make. I already did, but anyway. <laughs> Somehow I knew that. Somehow I knew that before I said it. You have to have you have to have an army of zombies. And besides, uh, if you, it was uh, Doc Mego, mm-hmm. put out a zombie kit. And you proceeded to make how many of them? I have a lot. <laughs> well, I guess if you're going to stage zombie assaults, you have to have that. Hmm. As I said, you need to make more of those, like, Twisted Mego Theater type things. <laughs> Take a website unto itself? Well, yes, but it would be a good hobby and be a good use of all these Migos. It's both a way to entertain and uh, show off your Mego collection at the same time. <laughs> I mean, you've got all these figures. You might as well do something with them, bes- besides playing with them, obviously, and enjoying them in various other ways <laughs> we're not going to talk about. That's nice. But it would be a chance for uh, Tor Johnson and Professor Badass to team up. Exactly, and that would be most awesome. (laughs) I would watch the hell out of that. Oh, yeah, exactly. You can just see Tor there in the... You can just see Tor as uh, Professor Badass's uh, big sidekick. (laughs) That would actually work out really well, actually. (laughs) Yes, it would. That's like, wow, that's a great pulp image. Hmm. (laughs) Time for Crush Evil! Okay, that works. Okay, on that note, uh, was there anything else you wanted to talk about related to Mingo? Uh, no, I think this is pretty much it. Um, like I say, I think that the uh, they've been cemented enough in pop culture mm-hmm. and the minds of uh, fans and even people who have no idea that they used to be a thing unto themselves that they'll be a thing for a very long time. Mm. Even if they're the, the, the peak frenzy may have cooled off a bit for now. Right. But I think they'll always be a thing. Okay, I can see that. Well, so in that sense, they've basically become kind of like comic books. They'll be always part of our culture in some way. Yep. Hmm. And on top of that, think about when I die and they go through my house and find hundreds upon hundreds of these things. 
okay. The, the resulting news story is going to flare up interest all over the globe. I know I it. I imagine so. <laughs> Actually, there's a slightly morbid question. What would you want done with all these Mego figures when you go? Do you want to be buried with them? Oh, I don't care. I'll be dead. You won't hear any complaints out of oh, me. Oh, okay. Just, just wondering. <laughs> Wait, are you sizing up my collection? No, but that Professor Badass <laughs> figure is pretty cool looking. <laughs> There's a li- there'll be a link in the show notes, guys. You'll be able to see them. In fact, actually, no, I will make your image of Professor Badass this episode's picture on the website. <laughs> that way everyone can see him, because he is actually really cool looking. In in real life and as an actor. I know, he works both that, ways. Why doesn't that guy, like, star in movies? Well, because he normally doesn't look like that. I don't know. He's a, he's a fashion critic. If you ever look him up online, no, he's quite the uh, styling dude. I believe he is, but he doesn't look like that Professor Badass look all the time. In fact, the picture I saw of him, he doesn't even have the beard anymore. Or the yeah, I've, I've, seen some, I've seen some of those too, but no, man, grow it back. He, he needs to be in movies. I know, I know. <laughs> he's like the ultimate pulp hero we never knew we wanted. No kidding. <laughs> eh, okay. All right, on that note, um, thanks for listening, everyone. And uh, tune in next time where we talk about, well, it'll be a surprise. The Star Wars Holiday Special. God, no. Good night, folks. (laughs) Bye. Thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to hear more or join the conversation, come visit us at ObeyTheDNA.com. You can also find us on iTunes or whatever fine podcast site forgot to lock their back door. So until next time, remember that to master the nerdly arts takes time, practice, and enough Coca-Cola to drop a rhino. See ya!